Jared, the GM, live from Bridgestone Arena today, just outside the Sobro entrance, Pete and Terry's Tavern. Come on out and register to win the last pair of Preds tickets we have to give away today. Again, Pete and Terry's Tavern, happy hour, 3 to 6. $5 domestic draft, $6 craft draft, and $7 specialty cocktails. Come on out and see us today. Trevor Maddich, in 30 minutes, what did he think of the Gators and what they did to Auburn, although I should say what Auburn did to Auburn on Saturday. What do you think, of, by the way, of some of those turnovers Auburn had? Oh, I thought Gators spanked them. My favorite was the, was the, <laughs> the big defensive lineman for Auburn, number five. Every time he got the ball, man, he was huffing and puffing. And he, oh, he recovered, what, like two fumbles and sacked the quarterback? Yeah. And one of those he took out of the quarterback's hand, and he was running down, and he was huffing and puffing. And I'm like, go, number five, go, number five, go. And I'm like, hey, size and speed on that boy. I mean, he might be a good fit on the Titans at some time. But speaking of the Titans, good to great. That was all we were talking about all offseason. Vrabel, that was his saying, so on and so forth. And I don't know about you, but I haven't seen great. And I feel like the players on the team are better. But the results, uh, not so much. So Mike Vrabel was asked yesterday whether or not he thought this football team was better in 2019 than they were in 2018. What's the biggest difference between you guys last year and through five games this year? I would have no idea. I would not even want to attempt to that. All I'm trying to do is uh, is get guys in here today at 12:30 and, and find out about the health of the football team, make corrections, uh, get it fixed, and, and find a way to beat Denver. And that that that's all I can tell you about this year and last year. Um, I just would not even want to even consider that. So Vrabel does a great job of not answering that question. Well, Floyd, let's talk it out then. How do we feel about the difference between the 2019 Titans and the 2018 Titans? Are there things they're better at, things they're worse at? Are they a better team? What do we think? Well, I mean, see, this gets into the same deal. I mean, you are what your record says you are. So when you come to evaluating a team, you go right to the record. That's the easiest way to look at it. Now, is that the correct way to look at it? You know, I'm not sure it is. But you, how are you going to argue with the record? Well, I mean, last year you were 3-2 and two at this time and it lost to Buffalo. This year you're 2-3 and three and it lost to Buffalo. Not really a whole heck of a big difference right there. Right. Uh, to me, I mean, I think... I mean, I, I feel kind of lazy saying this because I feel like it is the lazy thing to say. You could be 4-1 if your kicker would just make some freaking kicks. Yeah. You know, and last year you had Ryan Suckup, who even though he didn't have a great season by Ryan Suckup standards, still would have hit at least four of the five kicks that what's-his-name's missed. You know, I mean, Suckup hits the kick against Indianapolis. Suckup hits the two 30-yard kicks the other day, and he probably hits one of the 50-yard kicks. And the Titans probably play a little bit differently knowing that they've got Ryan Suckup kicking because they trust Ryan Suckup almost as much as they trust their punter. Now, Suckup didn't have a great year last year, but he's surely a whole hell of a lot better than this guy. Oh, yeah. And so, I mean, before I get going on whether or not the team is better or worse, they easily could be 4-1 and one if they could just kick the ball. 
which is the funny thing about kickers is you never get excited about them during the draft. You never talk about kickers in the offseason. It's never like, what do we need to do? You know what? We need to sign a kicker in the preseason. It's never like, do they need to bring in an extra kicker while suck-ups on PUP just in case to see? And now we're sitting here saying, Cody Parkey, Mr. Double Doink, is coming in here to be the kicker of the Tennessee Titans, and they've already lost two games because they can't kick? So before I get to anything about the team being better or worse than last year, just the difference at kicker might be literally the entire discussion right now about the football team. Well, I mean, the kicker, it's, it's always the same with kickers. Nobody wants to talk about kickers, punters, and long snappers until it gets messed up. Then everybody wants to join in the conversation. So, I mean, they've, they've got a problem, and they know it. You know, they, now what can they do about it? Problem is now, nothing. Maybe even earlier, nothing. I mean, once you lose yours, you're at the bay of whatever's out there. Mm-hmm. Well, I'm just saying, though, like as far as evaluating whether the team's better, and you're right about kickers, punters, and long snappers. Like, do you remember the Giants got to the playoffs one year? And they were on the, like their third long snapper and their backup kicker and the holder was – and they played the 49ers in a playoff game. And the long snapper messed up the kick – and the holder couldn't get it down. And so all of a sudden, it's the fire drill, and the punter is trying to throw the ball down the field to, like, a backup tackle. And it's just, like, that's what happens when you're, when you're discombobulated um, at, at, that, at that position. So before we even get into the team being better or worse than they were last year, the difference in kicker literally could be two games. So there's that. Now, that being said, I feel like, they're worse on the offensive line this time this year than they were last year, if not because of the Taylor suspension, but also the continuity factor and the fact that Nate Davis is simply not ready to be playing NFL football, and he's out there. Mariota, I thought through four games was probably or five games was probably better last year than he was this year. The running game is much better this year than it was at the beginning of last year, and I think the defense is better than they were last year. I think it's fair to say they're a better team than they were last year. They just can't kick the ball right now. And that whole element of kicking, and you talked about, you know, the every team is a, every team except for New England, Kansas City, and then there's some teams that just get cake schedules and they take advantage of it. Like we were talking about the 49ers. I mean, the 49ers look to be for real. If for no other reason, they're going to be playing a bad schedule and they got a quarterback this year that they didn't have last year and they got Bosa who they didn't have last year, and that, that changes that, the whole deal. You with know what they got? They got a running game that scares you to death, and they got a defensive front that will knock your socks off. I mean, that's the two areas that was really, really impressive. I mean, they had 300 yards rushing, and and the defensive front, I don't know what they ended up with, seven sacks, six sacks or mm-hmm. something, and, and knocked them down. Every snap, they got all those first round draft choices, and Bosa's are, the one who's just they he's are coming up, boy. And Bosa's just amazing. But you add that to the fact that they play an easy schedule that includes the worst division in football, the AFC North, and San Francisco might win ten games this year. So, but to your point about the eight and eight thing, every team is basically eight and eight except for the couple plays and games you make. Well, if you can't kick the ball through the uprights, you're probably looking at. And already take away two games, so now you're a six-win team. So now can you make enough plays to get the nine wins? 
and that's kind of where the Titans find themselves. I mean, I don't think the Titans are necessarily better at anything except wide receiver, where I feel like they are significantly better than they were last year. But the lack of a kicker is going to hurt the bottom line before we get to anything else. Well, yeah, because it's going to cost you wins. And that's the, you know, that's the only thing that matters. So, yeah, I would agree with that. You know, they're going to be, that's going to be critical. And I, and, and the, the sad part again, what do you do about it? You know, this is why you always, I mean, I didn't, man, oh man, I used to have nightmares about your kicker going down. We lost Joe Nedney in a game where he tore an ACL. Yeah, I forget what he did. He kicked the dirt or something. And and got hurt, and I mean, you, and it was like the middle of the year. And uh, you're talking about and, when they lost Nedney in the middle of a game or in, during practice? No, in the game. That was the first game of the year, and Nedney was making a tackle. It and, was. and he was making a tackle in towards ACL. Yeah. So anyway, you you now what are you going to do? You know, and Hendrick hit three field goals in that game to win it. Wow. And there is, and Kern's a great punter, but he can't do what Hendrick did. Like, if you're in the situation, like, if you, and maybe this is a skill that punters need to learn how to kick, but Kern can't kick. Well, so, back then, a lot of guys were kickers, punters in college. You know, they did them both. Now, it doesn't, I don't think it happens. So, do you feel, though, like, when you watch with your eyes that the Tennessee Titans have a better football team in 2019 than they did in 2018? Forget about the record. There's no doubt. I mean, there's absolutely no doubt about it. Personnel is is probably 20% better. Problem is, the division may be 40% better. And you can't kick. And Yeah, and you can't kick. But, I mean, it's, it is... I mean, the, the years that we had the golden opportunity because the division was so, so bad, we were bad. I was say, you and were the so, leaders in being bad. Yeah, so we were, you know, we were right in the middle of it. Then all of a sudden, you start getting better, guess what? The division gets better. It's like Houston. Is Houston the team that lost Carolina or the team that killed Atlanta? You know, is Indy the team that lost to the Raiders or is Indy the team that, you know, I mean, who are they? And we're right there with them. You know, which team are we? Are we the ones that beat Atlanta or are we the ones that lost to Buffalo? I don't know. You know, it goes back and forth. That's why, again, every team in the league goes through this. Although I will say about those two games, not to, I know what you're saying and I agree with you, but like the difference between the Atlanta and Buffalo game is Atlanta has no defense. Buffalo's defense is pretty doggone good. So when you play Atlanta, it doesn't matter that your coach maybe makes a mistake on going for it or whatever because you're scoring touchdowns and you don't need your kicker because you're scoring touchdowns. But then when it comes to Buffalo, and we said this was going to be a down-to-the-wire game, and we said, hey, you know, they're going to need to kick some field goals. And what? Well, if you can't kick any field goals, then you're going to lose. And it's like when you guys played the Ravens in the playoffs. No offense, because Al Del Greco's a nice guy. He cost you guys a Super Bowl. Because he can kick. And it may not matter when you're 25 points better than somebody, but it will matter when two defensive teams are playing a defensive game and all of a sudden you're getting kicks blocked in return for touchdowns. Now all of a sudden it totally changes everything. And that's why it's hard for me to, to look at this team and say whether or not they're better because I can't get over the lack of a kicker and how important that is. 615-737-1025. Do you think the Titans are better than they were last year? Floyd says yes. I, I'm not sure. 
But we'll get to your phones. 615-737-1025. Jared the GM live from Pete and Terry's Tavern. Plus, we've got to get some college football thoughts in there before we get to Trevor, which we will do as well. It's Jared and the GM. Uh, let me tell you. Hey, Preds fans, Smashville Live returns uh, tomorrow, hosted by Braden Gull, live from Brewhouse South in Cool Springs. This week's guests from 7 to 8, this week's guests are Kyle Turris and Dan Hamuse. The first 50 people will have an opportunity to get an autograph or a picture. Smash for Live, brought to you by New Amsterdam Vodka, Spring Hill Heating and Cooling, and Red Spirits and Wine. Exciting times, Floyd. And by the way, I meant to say, I skipped over the fact that Brewhouse South, which we love, Brewhouse South is in Cool Springs, located at 1855 Galleria Boulevard. So go on out and see that. Jared and the GM, CSP and 1025 The Game, and we're streaming on the Game Nashville app. What's the process that you go through in a game when you got to make a tough decision, whether it's to challenge or not, going fourth down? Yeah. I mean, I think we just talk with the coaches and, and talk upstairs and see if there's one a replay review and, and what we can challenge, um, how we feel like, you know, based on the success of the play, um, what what we should do, uh, what's best for the team on on fourth down or you know fourth and one or fourth and six, and um, trying to manage a game. You know? That was Vrabel yesterday. Can I just say that the one thing that bothers me about the Buffalo game, one final thought on the Buffalo game, and that is if Vrabel doesn't make the decision to send Santos out there, then I don't. I would not have really criticized him for the loss yesterday. I mean, I was thinking about this as I'm watching the game. Like, is it Vrabel's fault that Jack Conklin bear hugs a guy as Derrick Henry's running into the end zone? Not really. I mean, was it Vrabel's fault that Taylor Lewan got a holding penalty on the first play of the game? Not really his fault. So I'm sitting there watching this, and I'm like, you know, this isn't really Vrabel's fault. Guy Brink comes out for a 53-yarder. Can't, guy can't kick. I'm like, Pfft. So Vrabel would have had almost no criticism for the loss on Sunday if it wasn't for the kick. Okay. You are so done talking about this. Yeah, so done. But it's a big deal for the fans. You know what? Like I said, I've tried. Fans think what they're going to think. And go for it. All you guys, go for it. <laughs> you, you wanna... I mean, you got to stay out of it in defense of your guy, Vrabel. I'm not staying. I mean, I, you know what? I know what what football people do. Now, you guys can, fans can do whatever you want to do. I would it's, really love. It's a different world. Well, Adam Archuleta is a football guy, and he did not like the decision Adam on TV. Adam Archuleta is a football player. It's different. So is your coach. He was, but now he's a coach. I know, but he's got more playing experience. Adam, he has Adam is on ESPN or whatever CBS. he's on. CBS. Well, I mean, I think it's fair to bring up the fact that Vrabel doesn't have a ton of coaching experience in his career before he took over as head coach. Yeah. I mean, and then yeah. he's kind of a player out there coaching. I have no problem with, you know, you, we can talk about experience all you want. I mean, I, I have no problem with that. Which he doesn't have a ton of coaching. He, he, as a head coach? No, I mean, I'm talking about got, coaching overall. Oh, I don't worry about that. But as a head coach, I mean, we know exactly how much experience he's got. I know, but wasn't it like two years at Ohio State, two years with the Texans, one as a coordinator, and then right to being a head coach? I mean, oh, that's I not know. that's not like the NBA who takes these guys who well, have never Well, it's not coached. like Fangio, no. I mean, it's not. he's not 61 <laughs> years old. But, uh, but I mean, we're seeing the NFL nowadays. You're seeing a lot of Lafleurs and, you know, guys that are – 
young guys that are taking over and, as head coaches. Like that, the great Bengals-Cardinals game, the Sean McVay Bowl. Let's go to your phones. David is up next on Ryan's Suckup. What's up, David? Well, so forgive me if, uh, if this begs an obvious question, but I hear you guys talking a lot about the, the kicking woes or lack of a kicker in this place, and how come nobody's talking about Suckup coming right back, I believe, to be evaluated this week and hopefully potentially kicking the ball in, in a couple of weeks? You know, right at the you know throws of the season. What, what, what is your take on that? So, thank you for the call, David. Uh, Floyd, you're a special teams coach, so you would know better than I would about him getting back into the mix. But I believe he's not eligible to come off of IR until week eight. So you're you're looking at three more weeks before he can come out and kick. And I don't know how long it takes a kicker to get back into the rhythm of being able to kick. Well, I think he can start practice next week, and then he's still on IR for a couple of weeks. And then he's back. So he can get back into non-game kicking rhythm. Um, but, you know, he's, he's got enough game experience with these guys. He should be okay. Um, I mean, again, assuming the health is okay. And that's that's probably be the number one issue. And I can't even remember. I mean, it seems like it was a knee or something, but I don't know what all they did to it. So assuming all that is okay. Then we'd be all right. John Robinson foreshadowed. I want to say he foreshadowed this, but um, it was very ironic that during the final, the fourth preseason game, they bring John Robinson into the booth. So it's Charles Davis and Dan Helley and and John Robinson. And uh, Pinero for the Bears makes a field goal, and the, the fans go crazy because the guy made a kick. And they're sitting up there with John going, ha, 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 John, isn't it good you don't have to worry about this? And John's like, you know, I'm, I'm glad that kicker's not a concern of ours right now. And I'm watching Suckup hit like a, you know, I'm watching Suckup hit PATs that are, are, are good, but they're low and they're, you know, Ugly. short. Yeah, and they're, yeah you know, I'm like, what's going on here? And then Suckup came out and said he couldn't kick the ball past 40 yards. And I'm thinking, you can't kick the ball past 40 yards in a game. And then he goes on IR, and I'm thinking, yeah, good job chuckling, John, because how do you feel now, John? You, you sit there and chuckle up in Count the booth. Count your blessings. John probably had to be in the booth thinking when Charles and them were like, hey, John, isn't it great that you don't have to worry about kicker? John's probably sitting up there thinking in his head, Charles, please shut up. Knock on wood. Like, because yeah. I know I have to worry. Because he probably knew he had to worry about kicker, but he can't tell the world that he's worried about kicker. And now, again, Cody Parkey, Mr. Double Doink, is into kick. And so, I mean, I, I don't really have any feelings about this other than I expect him to miss. And back to the suck-up thing, even if suck-up comes back, for, going back on Floyd's theory that you're an 8-8 eight and eight team, that there's about four or five games through the course of the year that are decided by one or two plays, suck-up, you know, now you're starting at six because Santos has cost you two games. So you're starting at six, and now you got to find a way to get to ten. I'm not so sure they're going to be able to. You know, suck up is not going to kick them to eleven and five. Well, you've got to win. You've got to find a way to win a couple of games that to get there to get a couple, a couple of game, a couple of New England and Philadelphia games. Well, you'll get whoever, your shot whoever with that City may be. Yeah, there you go. Whoever those those guys, whoever it may be. I think I think the Titans have got to win the rest of their games in the division. Like, they need a clean 4-0 sweep in the AFC South. 4-2 would be dynamite. The problem is, is one of those games is in Indianapolis where you never win. 
and Houston, you're going to play two of the last three games against the Texans. And so they'll probably, it looks like they'll have a lot to play for at the end of those games. So I don't feel good about it. But I do think in order for the Titans to be as good as we think they're capable of being, or we thought that they were capable of being, I think the Titans are going to have to win. They're going to have to sweep the division. And I'm not necessarily sure how I felt about that. Floyd, which game mattered to you more Saturday? Tennessee putting up a fight against Georgia or Auburn vomiting all over themselves in the swamp? Well, I didn't. I mean, the game that meant the most was obviously Tennessee, but Tennessee, you knew, was going to struggle. Uh, and and they played very, very well for half, and then they did indeed struggle. The, the Auburn-Florida game, I mean, I wasn't as high on Auburn as you were. You know, you had Auburn, the Final Five team. And I, I thought Auburn, you know, with a, with a young quarterback and with defensive fronts, he's going to start seeing – I mean, it'll be a little bit different for him. So um, I, I wasn't, I mean, I, I, you know, I thought Auburn was just very average. And I'm not sure Florida's all that good, to be honest. I mean, Auburn should have won but, that game, but they turned it over like six times, including a guy no. trying to field the punt in between his legs. All, all those count. Adoree Jackson even knows better than that. I mean, to me, I, I still think I would not count out. Auburn from winning either Georgia or Alabama at home. I wouldn't count that out yet because it's different when you're playing at Auburn. But Auburn kept screwing up opportunity after opportunity on Saturday. I was disappointed with Auburn with what I said. I'm with you. I don't think Florida's very good. I think Florida is what they are, which is a nice top 10 team, but nowhere near the contest. I mean, they, they can't get on the field with Ohio State and compete. They've got, they've got a defensive front that can put pressure on you. The quarterback played better than I thought he would. Um, you know, in a game of that caliber, I was expecting the, the kid to try to light it up. And then, you know, the Auburn quarterback, and he didn't do it. And so I was kind of surprised to see the Florida guy do it with with some consistency. Do so, you take anything away from Tennessee putting up a fight against Georgia? I don't, you know what? It's got to be progress. I mean, if they would have played either one of the, the first two games – with the, with the way they played that half, they would have easily won both of us. But not, it's too little too late. But, I mean, when you looked, you watched Tennessee play uh, Georgia, they were legitimate. They were, that first half, they were a legitimate college football team. And you could look at them and you could think, wow, if you could play an entire game like this, I mean, you would actually have a chance against the Georgias and the, the Floridas and the whoever else. And and do we think they can get there? I mean, I think I'd be shocked if they can. The young quarterback, freshman quarterback, looked like the real, the first half, he looked like the real deal. I mean, you're watching that and you're thinking, why has he not been playing the whole time? Because he played much better than Garantano. So, um, but... Then the second half came around. Coming up next, Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst. What does Trev think about the SEC after the weekend? And plus, 
Is he ready to change his four teams? He had Auburn as, I think, the number two team in the country last week. Two or one. How does he feel now? We'll get to that next with Trevor Maddich, Jared and the GM, live from Bridgestone Arena at ESPN 1025, the game. Jared and the GM, we're live at Bridgestone Arena. The Auburn Tigers take their first loss of the year. That was to Florida. The Vols look okay for a half against Georgia. Vanderbilt, who nobody, I, I, I don't even know if it's worth our airtime right now to talk about Vandy because I don't sense anybody talking about Vandy, wanting to talk about Vandy, wanting to care about Vandy. I mean, I, I, I don't even know how to feel. They got hammered by Ole Miss. Poor coach over there, but my goodness gracious. Uh, anywho, Trevor Maddox joins us now, ESPN College Football Analyst. Trev, I was with you last week in believing in the Auburn Tigers. The old man over here was, yeah, now they'll get hammered when they play the good teams. And they go out there, Trev, and just turn the ball over like it's candy against the Gators. Tell me that I'm not wrong for having believed in Auburn, or did Auburn show their true Tiger stripes on Saturday in the Swamp? You are not wrong for believing in Auburn, and all of Auburn's goals are still in front of them. They will learn from this game and get better. The whole thing about this team is that they're, they're SEC championship level everywhere except quarterback. Quarterback, it's just a matter of whether or not the young quarterback will blow it while he's in his learning curve and cause them to lose a couple of games so that when they get to the end of the season and he's more ready to go, they've already lost their opportunity. Well, now their fudge factor is completely gone. And I think their young quarterback saw that uh, things don't always come so easy as they have the last couple of weeks, even though he's got a bunch of fast receivers. This defense is probably the best one they'll face in the regular season. And they didn't perform very well. Now, their, their defense did better than people think. Um, there are other things about this game we could talk about, but ultimately this one's got to go back onto the head of the young quarterback who played like a young quarterback. Trev, what do you make of their place in the SEC? And maybe what did you see from Florida on Saturday in terms of believing that they could compete in the East? Well, where Auburn is in the SEC East right now is, I mean, you've got to put them third behind Alabama and LSU. Uh, LSU's defense is rising up and playing a lot better than they did early against Texas. And so I think they're answering a lot of those questions. Their running game is okay, not great, but their passing game is stellar, which kind of puts them on the same level as Alabama. Auburn, on the other hand, has everything in position as long as the quarterback continues to, to grow and get better. So I think you have to put them third right now, but not terribly far behind those other teams, pending the growth of Bo Nix. I think the uh, Florida, they have a national championship caliber defense. Not the best defense in the country, but one that's good enough to play to win a national championship if the offense is up to that level as well. The offense, though, not not so happy about. I mean, Auburn's defense is really good, and Florida outgained them. They had almost 400 yards total offense, but about half of those yards were on three plays. I mean, they busted loose on three plays, and that's almost half of their total yards right there. So this Florida offense is not yet ready to, to be a, a conference, even a division championship offense. But the good news for them is that their defense now getting some guys back healthy is keeping scores down, getting turnovers, and allowing them time to develop. Trev, I can't help. Every time I watch LSU, I can't help but, you know, move on from the game and think, man, oh, man, this team is on fire. I mean, they are impressive. Yeah, Floyd, I'm, I'm, I'm looking at uh, LSU's, excuse 
I'm looking at LSU's offense right now for a, a breakdown for Sports Center, and I tell you, this passing attack is is scary. I mean, there's no better passing attack in the country. Not even Alabama. Yeah. Not Clemson. Yeah. Um, nobody's is better than LSU's, and it's partly because of the receivers. I mean, they are so fast. They are so good at turning a a 10-yard gain into a 70-yard touchdown. But Joe Burrow is the best passing quarterback in the nation right now. And it's not really even very close. I mean, Tua's kind of up there with him. But other than that, it's Joe Burrow and everybody else. You know, his completion percentage overall is really good. I mean, (laughs) excuse me. His completion percentage is really good. He's one of the best in the country. Actually, he is the best in the country. He's completing 78% of his passes, right? Normally, when a quarterback completes 78%, it's because he's throwing the ball at or behind the line of scrimmage most of the time. We saw Colt McCoy do that at Texas a long time ago when he was, you know, lighting up defenses, super high completion percentage, but it was super short passes. Joe Burrow, though, if you, if you look at what his completion percentage is on passes that travel at least 15 yards in the air, He's not just first in the country at that. He's first by a mile. 75% of his passes that travel at least 15 yards in the air, he completes. Number two um, is way behind him. Number two is Tyler Huntley of Utah, and he's at 69%. So he's six, six percentage points better than number two at deep throwing. And so you combine that with the receivers, and you've got an offense that, that stretches the field, takes the top off the defense, keeps safeties away from the line, and causes all kinds of trouble. Joe Burrow is the best pocket passer in college football as we speak. Wow. What um, this week, if I remember correctly, this is Oklahoma-Texas week, isn't it? Yes. How, how, do, you, how do you see that playing out? This is about quarterbacks. I mean, this is about oh, – and by the way, let me – let me just say, people say, what about Tua? Tua is a great deep thrower. Yes, Tua is a great deep thrower. But remember, passes of 15 yards or more in the air, Burrow's completing 75%. Tua is completing 49%, and he is 25th in the nation at completion percentage of those deep balls. So, you know, uh-huh. just so people that are yelling at me on Twitter right now, they're straining their thumb hammies, tweeting at me. Um, Tua is a great deep passer, has a beautiful deep ball. Just right now, Burrow's a lot more efficient at it. So, uh, Texas-Oklahoma, this game to me comes down to quarterbacks because Jalen Hurts has been phenomenal. I mean, he hasn't played anybody yet. He hasn't been opposed by a strong defense yet, but he's done everything they've asked him to do, and he looks like he's having fun. In Alabama, he was still playing in the era where the offense's first job was don't blow it for the defense. Play to the strength of the defense. Complimentary football. That means don't turn it over. That means be exceptionally careful with the ball, and he was. But he looked like he played tight a lot. Lincoln Riley told me that he doesn't want Jalen to play tight for him. He wants him to, to open it up, just sling it, have fun. If you make a mistake, hey, you make a mistake, no problem. We'll, we'll be all right. And he's throwing the ball into windows that he didn't do. He didn't even try. He, he was scared to. I think, <laughs> Alabama. And I think that's one of the reasons you've seen him really blossom as a passer. Um, he's got a fair, mostly a full complement of people around him. The problem for the other quarterback, Sam Ellinger at Texas, is that he's got epic injuries at running back. I mean, there's only one, there's only one running back who's healthy enough to play right now, Keontae Ingram, and he's dinged up. And so he's, he's playing with injury. The backup running back for Texas is the third-string quarterback. So 
much more of the total responsibility for making this team go is on Sam Ellinger. And the Texas quarterback, I think, has a much bigger responsibility than the Oklahoma quarterback. Now, big picture for the Big Ten or the Big Twelve, they really need Oklahoma to win this game. Really need them to win this game because it will need to be an undefeated Big Twelve champ to have a chance of making the playoff. And Oklahoma is the only one that's got really any name recognition. You know, Baylor's undefeated, and you know, but they don't they don't move the needle. I think with the committee, uh, it would be kind of tough for them to finish undefeated anyhow. But they need Oklahoma to win as an undefeated Big 12 champ, because right now there's scenarios where you might not just get two SEC teams, but you could have three uh, that will be strongly considered to make the playoff. And there's even one crazy scenario where all four teams could be from the SEC. Uh, it's doubtful that that would happen, but if you're a one-loss Big 12 champ with what's happening in the SEC right now, I don't think you've got any hope that you'll make the playoff. So they need Oklahoma to win. Trevor Maddox, GSP and college football analyst with us here on the show. Going back to Lincoln Riley, I mean, is this I, – I, I watched Baker Mayfield last night. He looked terrible on Monday Night Football. And Kyler Murray, I think, has won one game against the Bengals in the NFL. Is Baker – I mean, is Lincoln Riley really this good of a coach that he can take these guys, get them to be the first overall picks in the draft, then take a Jalen Hurts, who we thought was a backup, and make him a legitimate – Heisman Trophy candidate. Is it all Lincoln Riley, or is it the opponents they play? What is it? Well, we'll find out when Riley becomes the new head coach of the Washington Redskins, won't we? <laughs> oh, it sounds like you're, it sounds like you're campaigning for that. You're selling no, I'm not, it. no, I'm kidding. I, I, uh, I don't think he'd leave. Uh, I think he would stay there even if he got an offer from, from the Redskins. So the, Oklahoma is a better job. Is, what's that? Oklahoma is a better job. Yeah, it might be. It might well be. But you raise a good point, Jared, because, you know, he, he took a guy that transferred in from Texas Tech. He couldn't win the starting job there over a guy named Patrick Mahomes, by the way. Um, Baker Mayfield came to Oklahoma, walked on, and won the Heisman Trophy, uh, you know, eventually. And then you got a transfer from Texas A&M, Kyler Murray, who had to sit out, and then he won the Heisman Trophy. Uh, well, here comes Jalen Hurts, and you got he's in the conversation right now. So you've got three consecutive quarterbacks in three consecutive years. Two have already won it, and one of them is being talked about. And is it Lincoln Riley? It's a combination of a couple of things. One of it is Lincoln Riley. The air raid system that he runs is very friendly to quarterbacks. It allows them to be able to find speed in space without having to overthink it and decode complex nuances of coverage and things like that. You know, the air raid at its fundamental core is where's the open grass, who's going to be there, throw it there. Literally, you're looking for open grass. And so it makes it easy to excel early. The second thing is he's really good at, at coaching guys, at building their confidence and improving the, the mechanics and the accuracy and the, the mental side of it that they'll need to master in order to, to run this offense well. But you mentioned a good point, Jared, that is it the defenses that they play? And the answer is partly because in the Big 12, you guys can go back and see what was the last time a, a defensive back was drafted out of the Big 12. I think it was last year's draft or the one before one of the two. There was like one DB drafted out of the Big 12, and that was it, out of the entire conference. So it's not like they're facing you know, a juggernaut of, of defensive mastery back there. At the same time, when you watch these guys throw, and this includes Jalen to a degree, you would see them drop balls into tight windows that they're open, but if the defender were another step closer or even right on top of them, they still 
would complete that pass because the ball is still accurately thrown as if the guy were double covered and that's the only place the ball could drop and still be caught. Now, Mayfield and Murray did that all the time. You see Hurts doing that more now than he did at Alabama, and you know we'll see how he continues to progress. Trevor Maddox, GSP and College Football Analyst, coming up next. What are the odds the SEC gets two teams into the playoff? Also, what about the Vols? And how impressive was their first half against Georgia? That's coming up next. Jared of the GM live from Bridgestone Arena. Authentically American. Floyd's got his authentically American on. Dave, who's flipping the switches with us today, he's got his authentically American on. And y'all know I be got I got my authentically American on. I love authentically American, and your business will too. Get the sweat ink. And it's not just for business now. Authentically American can be just for you where everything is made in the USA. But get that sweat ink with the secret motivational messages. If you've got a gym or a charity or a high school sports team or a college sports team, you want to get with sweat ink. Trust me, Army works out in sweat ink where, again, it has a hidden message. You sweat through the shirt. The hidden message reveals itself. Look on my Instagram at the Jared Stillman where you can see a picture of that. Also, authenticallyamerican.us has all of that. Authentically American, the next iconic brand that is truly American-made. Jared and the GM. Jared and the GM live at Bridgestone Arena, Tennessee, put up a fight for a half against Georgia before the expected blowout came in the second half. Brian Maurer came in at quarterback, looked a lot better than Garantano has played. Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst, is with us. Trevor, what did you think of the Vols' first half against Georgia? I thought they were fantastic. I mean, they showed so much fight. They cared. They didn't quit on their coach. They didn't quit on each other. They just hammered away. And it was a joy to watch. And to see the body language as they were doing what the coaches asked them to do and seeing it work, seeing them stuff the mighty Georgia running game, seeing them move the ball on the mighty Georgia defense, they were almost like a revelation. It was like, hey, hey, we can do this. We're not as terrible as everybody says we are. That was wonderful. And I'll tell you, that first half, up until about two minutes to go, when Georgia started to break things, break things open, was really fun to watch. And more than anything else, I was so happy for those players to get that feeling of success against that kind of opponent. What did you think about their, what it means for them going forward, especially considering that this is a humongous game on their schedule against Mississippi State this weekend? Well, it's huge because the one after that's Alabama. And so, you know, if they lose to Mississippi State, they're, they're probably going to be annihilated by Alabama. Uh, although, who knows, they might put up a fight for a while like they did against Georgia. But it's not fair to, to expect them to go out and compete toe-to-toe with Alabama. They would disagree with that, but come on. So winning this game against Mississippi State would be important because otherwise they kind of sink back into that same feeling of, of ineptitude. And you don't want that kind of malaise to be the overriding mood of the building when people walk in. That's just not a good thing. So this is important, although according to ESPN's FPI, uh, Mississippi State is favored, heavily favored. Matter of fact, there's only two games left, according to FPI, where Tennessee will be favored. That's UAB and Vanderbilt. So, um, so this game's important. Now, the thing is, they can duplicate what they did in the first half against Georgia, against Mississippi State, with a better chance to keep it going for four quarters instead of just almost two. What they did against Georgia was, besides the effort, they executed. It was just execution. That's it. 
they, were, they stood in the right place and looked at the right guy on defense. They didn't run out of gaps. They didn't try to do too much. They trusted their teammates. They trusted the scheme. They, they did their fits. And Georgia had to defeat them in order to make something happen. And lo and behold, those guys are really talented on Tennessee. You know, and they, if you've got to defeat them, then it takes longer to get it done than if you open the gate like they've done in the past. Offensively, I mean, the quarterback, Maurer, I, I always it's like I say his name like my mouth's full of peanut butter, Maurer, Maurer. Uh, <laughs> he, he made some just fantastic throws. I mean, just throws that you can only make if you just are too young to really fully understand and appreciate how much trouble you're really in. But, hey, if he could do that a few times against Georgia, he could do it a few times against Mississippi State. So um, I'm actually encouraged, and I think it kind of bolsters the argument that I've been making that this Tennessee program is actually headed in the right direction. They just don't have enough horses because the first time really all year uh, against a, a FBS opponent that all those horses were in the right place pulling the wagon the same direction, they looked good for a while. Trev, I, I really had hopes with Vanderbilt versus Mississippi. And yet, I mean, it was, other than a few minutes, I mean, it was really not much of a game. Is Vanderbilt going to have a, an opportunity to win an SEC game? No, I don't think so. Jeez. Uh, in watching LSU for Sports Center Breakdown, I'm also watching that LSU-Vanderbilt game. And LSU ripped off a bunch of big plays against them. Uh, Vanderbilt fought hard, fought hard against LSU. And really the Georgia game uh, to open the season, Vanderbilt fought hard. And that score was closer, that game was closer than people who just looked at the box score would kind of think at the end. But they just don't have enough speed in the back end on defense. They just don't. And so teams with with fast receivers are going to find ways to gouge them, just gouge them. And when you look at their schedule going forward, you know, in the SEC, it's going to be tough. I mean, you know, Missouri, Kentucky's got a couple guys that can run. You know, Tennessee, Tennessee's probably going to be their best chance to be able to win. But that's on the road for Vanderbilt. So yeah. it's going to be a tough season for them. But they need more speed. So I guess they're out there right now talking to really guys that are really fast and really smart and saying you can start right away if you come to Vanderbilt and you'll be a doctor. <laughs> the... Uh... I watched the Michigan Iowa game and and oh, Michigan won, yeah. which yeah, which didn't surprise me. I mean, but I got to tell you now, Michigan looks awful. Uh huh. Well, wait now. Jim Harbaugh says the offense is close to hitting on all cylinders. I guess. Yeah. Well, but my I, thought is it depends on how many cylinders. Uh, yeah, you know, I didn't see it. No. Oh, if it's a two-cylinder, <laughs> yeah, yeah, you got you're halfway there. Yeah. No, they Michigan's defense was lights out against Iowa. If you'd have told me before the game that Michigan would score one touchdown and that's it, and that in the first quarter against Iowa, I'd have said, okay, I'd have bet Jared's house that, or even Floyd's boat, which is worth more than Jared's house and mine put together, uh, that Iowa would win that game. But the Michigan defense, I think, was humiliated against Wisconsin. And it kind of hurt my heart to watch them in that game because they knew that once they got what they looked like, they knew that once they got behind by a couple of scores that their own Michigan offense was not going to be able to move the ball and catch up. And they were deflated. They were just demoralized, and you could see it in their body language. They, they would mope around and slouch, and they weren't running places that they normally would run. They were just kind of jogging and things like that. They didn't quit, but they were demoralized. Well, in this game, I think they said, we're having enough of that. And they came out and played up to uh, just a high level. 
I think Michigan's defense coming into the season, even though they had uh, lost a lot of guys to the NFL, they were replacing them with guys that could run and hit. And I thought this was still going to be a championship-level defense. Didn't look like it against Wisconsin. But Iowa's offense is a lot like Wisconsin, except Iowa's got an NFL quarterback in Nate Stanley. And, you know, the quarterback for Wisconsin, Jack Cohn, nobody right now is, I think, is calling him that. But Michigan smothered them. The problem was the offense. The offense, the offense, the offense is still so clunky and so bad. And it looks to me like there's no easy fix because they've got really good players that don't appear to be in a place that allows them to maximize their potential from a scheme standpoint. They look like they wonder what they're doing. They're not sure what's happening, and they don't believe it anyway. You hear all the time about you know quarterbacks when they go into the huddle to call a play, and I know that they don't huddle up hardly anymore, but when they go into the huddle to call a play when they do, the quarterback has to sell that play. The quarterback has to call that play with a tone in his voice like this is the most awesome play call in the history of play calls. You know, because if he calls it softly and timidly with his voice going up at the end like it's a question, the guys will break the huddle thinking, oh, this is a good play. The quarterback doesn't believe in it, right? And so right now, even though they're not huddling up at Michigan, the I get the impression from the offense that and having been on offenses with good good schemes and bad schemes, guys that believe and guys that don't, they look like they don't believe, and they look like they're tentative. And Trevor, Matt, that is really worrisome because they could squander a championship-level defense with a horrific offense. Trevor Maddich, ESPN College Football Analyst. Trevor, we will talk to you next week. Okay, thanks, guys. Go a little Thanks, bit. Trev. See you, Trevor. Jared and the GM. Polls are everywhere nowadays, Floyd. Everywhere. Coming up next, a poll Titans fans have about their head coach. We'll get to that coming up next. Jared and the GM, we are live, plus a couple roster moves that the Titans have made we'll get to. We are live out at Pete and Terry's Tavern outside of Bridgestone Arena. It's ESPN 1025, the game.